Welcome back to another episode of the MVP Interactive Podcast. Today, we have another very special guest with Ryan Chenault, who is the Vice President of Marketing with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Over the past 20 years, Ryan has demonstrated an entrepreneurial-minded uh, administrative experience as an accomplished, innovative leader who has executed tr strategic plans that produce record revenues, enhance fan engagement, and a form and form strong brand affinity. And I can attest to all of that working on the latest project together. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. James, happy to be here. And uh, thanks, your check is in the mail for that nice intro. <laughs> well, thank you. We can all thank LinkedIn there and uh, there your, your, your past experience, which, which actually is pretty intriguing because, um, you know, over those past 20 years, you really cover a wide spanning uh, range of academics and marketing and even leading into a, um, you know, a leadership role with a professional major league lacrosse organization. So if you could just give our listeners a little bit of background as to your career and essentially what led you to the Blue Jackets, that would be fantastic. Yeah, no. Um, but as we know, in this industry, there is no straight line. There is no defined path. And, and uh, I think I'm pretty follow that mold, if you will. So going into school, had uh, college, had no idea that sports business was a thing. It, it wasn't a major back then, was not something that was on my radar. I actually thought I was going to be an engineer and then maybe medical school. I wasn't really sure, but ended up uh, graduating out of business. Recording degree. in progress. And uh, with, a, with a business degree and then also a degree in history. But even then, after I graduated, I ended up working for a for nationwide insurance for several years and not really knowing what I wanted to do. But it, it, it did kind of occur to me that after a couple of years that I should probably reevaluate. And, and at that time, a, a, a book called Moneyball had just come out. Oh, yeah. And I had read that and I was like, well, you know, that's, that's interesting. That's a business. And it, it kind of the light was turned on. And that really kind of what started my path. And I ended up going back to school, got a master's uh, at Xavier University with a focus that was in kind of the sports business models, one of the fir first programs in this region, uh, and, and uh, ended up doing that. And that really started just going ahead and volunteering and, and, and uh, interning wherever I could with the professional teams there in Cincinnati, um, but in the athletic department at Xavier and really kind of gravitated towards that collegiate model. I was always a big college uh, uh, athletics fan uh, and, and followed that. So that's really kind of where my heart lived. And I went down that path for a while. Um, but then my wife uh, got recruited to Chicago mm. and we went to Chicago. So after a career was kind of starting there at Xavier, ended up going to Chicago, um, which was great in the sense that there was all those teams there. But those opportunities might not have been where I wanted them to be. And actually at that point I turned and I went to started working with uh, minor league hockey, doing ticket sales with the Chicago Wolves. Um, did that for about a year and learned a lot. Uh, one of the things was that I didn't like making a hundred calls a day. Uh, <laughs> Takes a special person, it, right? <laughs> it does. It does. And I, I valued my time there and I, and, you know, kind of checked that box, but really wanted to get back to collegiate athletics and, kind of made some connections and, and kind of, again, uh, volunteering, doing whatever I could, ended up uh, landing an opportunity at Northwestern where uh, I was there for a little over 10 years, went in as their assistant director of marketing, left as a, one of the uh, members of the executive staff there overseeing the marketing of all their programs, 
Um, it's working primarily with football, but all 19 sports programs. Great opportunity, great time. But then again, my wife, she got recruited back again. And oh, wow. uh, this time it was back to Columbus. And when we came back to Columbus, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but during that process, I got caught up in a search uh, uh, for, uh, you mentioned the Major League Lacrosse, professional lacrosse. It wasn't really didn't know that was a thing, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a desire to be an AD, lead it down that path. And I, so this was an opportunity as I learned about it to kind of run an organization and, you know, wasn't necessarily at the Dallas Cowboy NFL level, but it was still something where we were dealing with players and, and ticketing and revenue and contracts and venue and all those things. Um, got in there, enjoyed my time immensely, was I have an incredible, incredible um admiration for uh, entrepreneurs and, and people doing startups because that's what what I was in wasn't something that I was comfortable in but I or had a desire to do but I'm glad I did it uh, I did that for about three years and learned a hell of a lot sure uh, but after that point too um, as sometimes happens in those 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 what I call tertiary sports out there the business model didn't work the league kind of split up and did some things so our franchise went away and I found myself looking for an opportunity. And about that time, uh, the Blue Jackets had just posted uh, my current position. And this was in June of 2019, uh, in which I kind of applied and got the job. And I'd love to say it's been smooth sailing ever since. No, no <laughs> pandemic, no nothing. Sure. But uh, that's not necessarily the case there. But but came on as the, the vice president here overseeing our creative services, our fan engagement team. Um, I also now oversee our community relations, uh, sticks in hand program. I have overseen our digital efforts in the past, but really, you know, overall just trying to enhance the brand of, of the Blue Jackets and broaden the base, make sure we're, we're getting more fans uh, involved. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I, I must say you are doing a fantastic job with that. And I can, again, speak firsthand to that. So just going back to the Major League Lacrosse organization, you had, you had mentioned something really interesting in, in terms of um, having your hands across the entire organization and being able to do these things across departments. And, you know, I don't think that there's anything more entrepreneurial than that, right, as a small business ourselves. And entrepreneurs that we, um, you know, you really take on a a level of effort that, you know, far exceeds an expectation of maybe when you start, right? And and just knowing and making sure that whether you had the previous experience or any level of domain expertise goes thrown out the window and you really learn it firsthand. And so how much of that experience do you think really gave you uh, the education and the comfort to explore, you know, a major league, another major league organization like the Blue Jackets or, you know, what the crossover there was. Well, you know, I think, I think it was a couple fold. It, the first thing is you don't know what you, what you don't know until you get into the middle of it. Sure. And that's, so ignorance is bliss. And um, when you do get in there sometimes too, you know, it, it's so encompassing and, and I felt, and again, I have a little bit of scale or, or, or a sense of what we were doing. We were not curing cancer. We were not, you know, uh, world peace, causing world peace. But I did feel every day that I was the engine and the inertia. And I was, I was the one, if I didn't show up, if I didn't bring the energy, no one else would. Sure. And I sure. felt that onus. And I think that that was something that, you know, again, being in a place like Northwestern, an institution that's been around for 150 years and, you know, 
no, no one wants to get hit by a bus, but the proverbial bus and the world still goes on. And I don't know if I felt that way uh, with at the major league lacrosse. And, you know, if it wasn't, if I didn't make it a priority for my team with someone else, and it, this didn't speak to my team, I had a great team around me and I'm thinking of the front office, not the players. Per, I mean, the players are great too, sure. but, but, but you really had to set the agenda and you had to be clear because there was, wasn't going to come from someone else. We had great ownership, but they were hands on. And we had good support from the league, but again, they were in Boston. So here we were in, in, in central Ohio and, you know, we had the freedom to, you know, take some risks. And if we messed up, you know, it was okay. Um, but it was also that much more rewarding when we took the risk or we, and we were able to achieve what we were able to achieve. And I think that that's, that's also what made the ending so much di difficult because, you know, were we again, um, you know, completely, you know, selling out tens of thousands of tickets all season and billions of dollars in revenue. No, we weren't there, but we were on the right path and we were making gains every single day. And we were, I was very proud of the team and what we had accomplished to date. So when it, when it did kind of go away, it, it was a punch in the gut a little bit. Sure. And, you know, I think that it did take a little bit of time to, to, to reevaluate. Did I still want to be in sports and what level of sport? And what I wanted, and, and truthfully, when I sat down with the Blue Jackets, I was pretty, pretty candid on what I wanted and what I didn't want. And you know, I was okay coming into this role, you know, not necessarily being "quote unquote" the person in charge. And and you know, I was okay maybe taking some orders because I'd had that opportunity there. Right. Maybe at some point I'll get back to really wanting that. But that that was something that I wanted, and and being part of a larger team that had some of that inertia that was really appealing at the time. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting, too, because I think that's a level of self-awareness that, you know, even on the entrepreneurial level, that this, this whether it's social media driven or just, you know, a trend in our culture right now that entrepreneurialism is, is you know, the only way to a career. And I don't think that there's anything further from the truth to that, where it certainly does take a, a special type of person and, and a level of endurance to be able to sustain, you know, the ups and downs and the responsibilities. And, and you're exactly right. The buck stops with you and, and you have to bring it every single day. And so after going through that, you, you develop a callus or potentially even some level of PTSD. So to be able to kind of go into an opportunity and, and really identify, Hey, you know, I'd lived that life, you know, I've, I've taken on those roles and that was tremendously empowering, but as your career progresses and you, you get into a more of a stable organization, you can really sort of, um, level out, you know, what you really want to work on and, and, and do and sort of find a new trajectory for you. So I think that's, uh, that's a, high level of self-awareness that, that people should I, really. You know, I think too, and I say this sometimes too, it's just what kind of headaches do you want to deal with? Cause we're right. all going to have headaches no matter where you are. And, and as long as the headaches don't become barriers to your success or blinding to, to what you're into thing. And uh, I think that's, that's a key piece, if, if, whether you're in an individual or at a large organization. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So here we are, we're at, we're at CBJ in your, uh, your career here. And yes. I didn't realize it was just 2019 that you had started there, which is pretty fascinating as well, because, you know, as an organization, it's a 20 to 25 year old organization, right? And yeah. um, so it's, it's fairly nascent to the, you know, other, other teams throughout the league. And, and so, but what stood out 
within the community to me, working firsthand with the organization, spending you know a good part of the summer uh, in yeah. Columbus, is the <laughs> the the community connection that uh, the team has to the greater Columbus area and, and you know, all of Ohio, really. And so, talk to us a little bit about you know the organization and how you know you've been able to whether you know, uh, the performance on the ice has been successful or not, but how you have been able to really get a stronghold on the community and not only the community, but even the league, right? I understand that um, CBJ is is really a North Star to many clubs throughout the league to kind of take a peek in as what you're doing on fan experience, what you're doing yeah. from a marketing perspective or, or maybe even operationally. Yeah, you know, it, you know, first of all, you, you, you hit it right on the head. It's an organiz- young organization for the league. You know, we're uh, the 2000, 2001 was the first season. So we're, we're not quite to our 25 right now. Um, and that's a little bit unique, too, because, you know, we're in an organization now where we're some of my colleagues or people that have been here before we even played our first game. So they have a huge amount of experience of, of seeing this from nothing to what it is today. And I think that's one of the interesting things when you talk about the tie-on to the community, that's a huge part of the Blue Jackets. Mm. Um, when it came, obviously we're in Columbus, Ohio State athletics, or specifically Ohio State football, um, you know, a national and, and local power. Um, but there, before that time, the crew had been here. There have been some other, um, again, tertiary sports, if you will, on the professional level, but not one at the, at the big four level. And when we came in uh, and when the team came in, it was a, you know, it was a real feather in the cap for the city uh, to have uh, one of the, the big four fran- or, um, leagues to, to have a franchise here. And not only that, but it's what they did when they came in here because of where our arena sat, you know, we're in the middle of what's considered the arena district, which is it is arguably one of the, the premier entertainment areas within the city now. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, this was a wasteland where we are, a parking lot. It's wow. where the old state penitentiary used to be. Uh, I mentioned I worked at Nationwide. Sure. I started working there. My The surface lot I parked in is probably around 100 feet from where I'm sitting right now. So this was this was nothing compared to what happened. And, and really, that investment had sparked so much change before the city to really put it on a national or continuous trajectory on a national map and just gave us another – um, point of pride to really kind of uh, to to kind of uh, you know promote, and that has gone on um, over the past 23 seasons for for the team. Yes, uh, we have not necessarily had the success on ice uh, over those 23 years or the sustained success that we would want, but there is a great level of pride that our fans take into it. We're sitting here right now, and unfortunately, we're not going to make the postseason. And in fact, we're pretty low. In, in the records this year, um, but we're on path to go ahead and uh, we'll see how we do in these last three games, but the pathway is right there to be sold out the last nine games of this season wow. and where we might be setting a record for overall attendance this year, the first, the high, the second highest in, in team history and uh, the, the most since the 2003 season. So I, I think it goes a, a, a credit to my colleagues, to our fan base, to the work that we do to make us relevant. We want the team to win, but make us relevant and exciting and something to do even when the product on the ice isn't where everyone wants it to be. Yeah, yeah, that's really remarkable. And so whatever you're comfortable sharing or, or maybe not sharing, but when yeah. it comes to other organizations in the league, you know, what are those t- 
type of conversations like when potentially you have a large market city that you know, despite their record as well, aren't selling out as, as well as you guys are. Is there that communication in terms yeah, of sharing? Yeah, it really some, is. I mean, yeah. again, I, and it, here's how I look at it is um, there's 32 teams in the NHL. I think this is, I don't, I can't speak for other leagues, but I would hope this is the way that it is. But, you know, you look at it and we're speaking of the NHL. Yeah. You got your, your Toronto's, your, 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 uh, your Rangers, your Boston's, they are in traditional major hockey markets that are things you know, Toronto could not do, I mean, they haven't won a cup since 68. They're still, I mean, sold out every single game. That place is crazy. It would be massive to have that kind of following. Sure. But, you know, we can look to them and we can share concepts, but we're not really operating in the same realm in some ways of fan engagement. It's different there. We're in a non-traditional market. So when we start looking at it, we're talking to the folks down in Tampa, Raleigh, Nashville, um, you know, some of these places that had been, that have teams that are still in major cities and maybe even competing against other sports entities, um, you know, whether it's other professional or major college teams and seeing what they do and we'll trade back and forth. And again, some of the things that we might do better, um, you know, we, we work a lot some uh, on, on how we ticket and do a lot of multi um, uh, multi game plans. It's not just full seasons or nothing. We need to go ahead and we have to cater out a little bit. If you were in a, a, a major market that everyone loves it, maybe you're only selling full seasons or half seasons, but we, we can't be successful for that. So you kind of have to find those out and you talk to them and say, what are you struggling with? Where are you at? What, mm. what can you do here? So it's those like markets that are probably facing similar problems and really developing good relationships with those folks so that we can kind of talk through. So even though we're all competing for the cup, we can probably break it down a little bit. Um, you know, I think the one thing that we're going through and maybe more specifically, you know, is what we've targeted with is we're in a building that's about 20 years old. It was built purposely for our arena. Our arena is built for the team. And, uh, you know, it's in great shape, but it's also 20 years old. Sure. And we're not unlike some of our other colleagues that don't have newer buildings. And it's how do you kind of look in the fan experience, what the fans want is different now than it was 20 years ago. Sure. And so we'll have conversations on how we might be doing that. And that could be everything from concessions to checkout processes to what the fan engagements and, and, and what they're looking for, or how they're looking to be entertained. Um, you know, what kind of seating are you guys changing around to? Is it club seating now? Is it more premium? You know, what kind of lounge access? And, and you're trying to find out what's kind of resonating in some of these different markets and what you might be able to do in your own building. Yeah, you know, and that was one of the things that I initially was was surprised with on the initial site tour was being inside a 20-year-old facility that, you know, it it held the test of time pretty well. Uh, but yeah. to your point, it's still 20 years, right? But I, I think the um, the architects, the builders, you know, the ownership did a fantastic job of really future-proofing a particular venue because, um you know, from a maintenance, even upkeep, it, it seemed like a 10 to 15 year old uh, arena without question. And so I guess this is an awesome segue to kind of talk about, um, you know, the stadium renovations that you've taken on this yep. year. Uh, obviously, uh, this would not be an MVP interactive podcast without talking about fan experience and some level of technology. So uh, the team embarked on a unique first of a kind of experience um, for Nationwide Arena with the fifth line fan zone. Um, which was obviously a concourse renovation that we had the pleasure of working with you on. And, um, you know, let's talk 
maybe back from 2019, Ryan, uh, from an organization standpoint, where where did this all start? And, and where was um, the efforts or at least the thought process as to um, creating this unique fan experience or this concourse activation for your, your organization and your fans? Well, it, it, you know, it was in 2019, uh, going almost into 2020 when we had that conversation. And what, what was kind of challenged with us at that time, again, a very good building, but you know, we were getting ready for our 20th anniversary and there was talk and consideration about how we might be able to go ahead and up our game a little bit within the, within, inside the arena to make sure that the experience for our fans was matching what their expectations were. And, you know, there was a lot of walks through the concourse. We did some surveying, some asking of our fans and what they wanted in different areas. And, you know, it, it came to, to see that, you know, some of the what I would say the, the interactives, the sticks in hands, the photo opportunities, the user generated, we were probably kind of a little bit behind there. And, you know, so the thought was, as internal was, could we go ahead and reimagine the fan game day experience um, to go ahead and touch on a couple core items that kind of resonated through that? And we, if so, where would that, where would that live within the building? And um, because again, kind of with their building, we're not building an extension. It's kind of like Tetris. We get, if we're going to move something here, we got to move something around. Sure. Um, we started having some conversations. And as you know, we were looking at a space that was existing on our concourse that already had some, some really, I, I'm going to say analog. I don't know if that's the right term <laughs> yeah, or not, but yeah, analog stick and hands kind of, uh, of activations that were, were dated, I, I would say. Mm -hmm. And we had talked about that. And, you know, I think we had started some conversations um, and even gotten some renderings and discussions, but then the pandemic hit right. and everything really got pushed back. And it really wasn't a priority as much, even when we came back at that point, because we didn't know. But there was an opportunity um, as we came out of COVID, as the building itself was looking at everything um, that, and it, with, one of the other parts was uh, a change in the need for, well, the amount of shows that were starting to come into the building. Obviously, we're the core ton up for Nationwide, uh, but the building brings in a lot of concerts as well. Yeah. And there was a space that was identified that um, had been used at one point when the building first opened, this area wasn't even attached to the building. It was a restaurant. And then about 10 years in, it became integrated in and it had been Frankenstein together. And it had been a point of sale for our, for our concessionaire, kind of a pub area, but it was where it was located was not in an advantageous position for concerts because it's kind of behind the house. So they couldn't use it as a point of sale. Mm. Whereas where our fan zone, where our old fan zone that we had talked about was someplace that was front and center. So there was a discussion of what if we kind of switch these two around uh, to allow for maybe a bigger footprint or a different footprint for the fan engagement area where this other area could be utilized, you know, as a point of sale for concession. Sure. Um, I think we brought you in, we started talking about it, and that's kind of where the, that, that initial for the space, but then we started talking about what we would want in there. And something that came through was, again, hockey in this market's a non-traditional market, we want to find ways to break down the barriers. We want to get sticks in kids' hands. We want to be relevant and using new technology. So the thoughts were, how might we be able to bring this in a kind of a user experience that might be a little bit more video game-esque? How can we go ahead and find some opportunities that might be, again, from a, a social media user-generated context that allow uh, experiences to be promoted and live beyond the game day experience? 
and then you know also just kind of um, have an opportunity for an area that could be utilized for additional content creation. And I'm thinking specifically, James, of our of the video game, uh, our, our our video game lounge, our gaming lounge, yep. which we get into. But you know, how can we bring those three components into one space? And I think that by partnering you, and through a number of jigsaw puzzles and stuff like that, I think we came up with a pretty good solution. I, w- I would say so, and it's um, you know really remarkable to see the the breadth of awareness that it, it has, kind of. Um, span the country across the league. Well, actually the continent, right? You know, we, we were speaking to a couple of other NHL teams. And uh, I think once the uh, ribbon cutting or the soft launch happened for the, the fifth line fan zone, it really spread throughout the league as, you know, hopefully a North star um, renovation for, for many clubs, because it, it certainly provided a one of a kind, best of class experience for the fans. And, you know, from a facility standpoint, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite the draw, right? And I think, you know, when we talk about the project internally, uh, you know, there's a sense of pride and, and um, awareness that we have in terms of, you know, a lot of this technology or a lot of, um, you know, the work that we do, the challenge for us is there, there's, you know, we're, we're not a conventional company or a technology that is sort of off the shelf. And so everything is, has an element of a bespoke nature to it. And sure, there may be some elements that we can replicate, you know, from past experiences and such, but, you know, being able to have the opportunity to really sit with your team and, and brainstorm and ideate and really imagine, you know, what this space would look like and the original rendering to the final, you know, door opening. I mean, it was pretty spot on. And, and, and so that, that was a, a fascinating experience for us to, um, you know, you had mentioned, you know, the locker room replicating the player locker room and, and putting the esports zone into that area or, you know, developing a one of a kind using advanced tech uh, sensor technology with a skill shot challenge and, and being able to shoot against a goalie or um, target practice. And, you know, the, the goalie game, you know, talking about yeah. um, being able to participate as a fan to be a goalie with live pucks coming out of you you know these are this is equipment that you can't go to home depot and just pull off the shelf right so um you know one of the things were you know uh, the fact that we are forever gracious that that we were able to work with you and you had the confidence in us to kind of build this stuff but i think it just goes to show um you know not to sound too much like walt disney here but you know, you start with the imagination, right? And and then it kind of goes from there. And so um, I think your organization and the way you guys handled everything and your team. Um, and, it, you know, what, what's, what was special to me, too, is that everyone had a voice, you know, on, on your side of the project where maybe there was a passion point for one of your colleagues to implement one type of experience and then another one with another experience. And so being able to really collaborate on that, um, issue those those concepts to you and then iterate on those i mean it's just it's it it never gets old right you know it's such a a unique experience and for us so as challenging as it is to overcome you know the unknown unknowns when building these type of technologies um being able to get there um eventually and continue to refine is is really um, a special component to this as well well you know and and i agree with everything james and and, you know maybe two points to of proof for me is, is, you know, we, after we launched about a couple of weeks after we launched a, a former colleague of ours who had been kind of involved with the project or knew what was the, oh, the wow. project, but hadn't been back since we'd launched came in and was blown away with the space because 
I think this comment was, it's almost exactly like what it looked like. It looks like what it's supposed to. <laughs> right. So, so again, he was kind of knew what was coming. And then when he saw it, I think he was really excited. And that, again, when you're going through these, you get so close to it and you might worry about little things here and there, but if you can take a step back as, and see that, that was great. And then, you know, the other one too is, is, um, and as you know, but we had a, a VIP event in this probably began, you know, about a month ago now, but um, where we had our players up there and, you know, they were with some of our corporate partners and some of our, 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 our VIPs and, and the players themselves now, you know, they're 19, 20, maybe up to the late twenties and stuff like that, but they loved it and they were in there and, you know, whether it was the shooting cage and trying to see if they could break the records or do a little bit better or, or just, we have some gamers that were like blown away that the, the, the locker room uh, or the gaming lounge looked like the locker room and they were looking at their own stalls and stuff like that. It was, it was neat for them to see it because again, they, they had no concept of what was going on They're You know, they're focused on the ice, right. but when they step into an area and they can be kind of wowed, um, that always makes us feel good too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that with the players too, because as uh, grizzled old men, as we are, you, you tend to forget how young these guys are. And so that's right in the wheelhouse of the demographic in terms of technology too. Right. So that's yes. a, that's a good point. You, you tend to forget sometimes, um, being in the weeds with the I project. I try not to think about it actually. <laughs> Don't look at their date of birth. <laughs> yeah. you know? That's right. Well, you know, on that note, as we're, we're approaching our time, Ryan, uh, you know, obviously something we say internally is, you know, we're only as good as our last production and uh, no matter that if that's in sports or business with wins losses and, and such um you know what excites you you know th this was such a, a a marquee um experience for for everyone involved you know what excites you for the future and you know what could you know cbj fans look forward to maybe even next season well you know um i think there's a couple things to me you know we're in an industry at early that is very cyclical. You go through it, the season starts, the season ends, you go in the off season. And I, and I talked about it a little bit. And I, I think um, if you start find yourselves confronting the same problems year in and year out, and you, you, you don't get excited for attacking those problems, um, maybe, maybe it changes in, in, in nature. And I still haven't found that yet with the jackets. So I'm, I'm excited for that. It's been a, it's been a difficult season for us on the ice and not where we want it to be. Um, but not from lack of trying. So, sure. you know, I'm excited about next season already. We are already talking about that and we're not that far off from our 25th anniversary. So, so when you start looking at that, I think, you know, this, these pieces that we put in place, the fan, the, the fan zone, um, I think there's going to be probably some more engagement that we look for for the fans going into the 25th, whether that's historical displays or opportunities to go ahead and continue to tell our story. Um, opportunity, again, we talked about there's people that are first-generation season ticket holders that are still, you know, how do we tell their stories in maybe unique ways to continue to show how important our fandom is to the, to our to our team and, and they're, they're part of our story. You know, we're going to look at those opportunities and, and, you know, I'm, you know, we were hit by the injury bug. I'm very or optimistic on the success next year. And that's one of the things is, you know, if you know where you are, when you're kind of not performing where the sky is, uh, uh, when it, everyone loves a winner and I sure we look, we look better, we seem smarter, we smell better. So, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that, that gets you excited to maybe take a couple of weeks off, but then get ready for uh, the upcoming season and, and, 
again, looking to see how we can continue to uh, be best in the league from a fan engagement standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. In arena or digital or wherever that might be. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's very exciting because if you guys are selling out crowds now with the record that you had, unfortunately, this year and, um, you know, the, the sky is the limit and, you know, you have a great facility, there's uh, amazing touch points. And uh, as mentioned, the organization really does care about the community and its fan base. And, you know, I, I think above anything, that's, you know, we sit on an interesting, you know, path, we, you know, as, you know, where we are as a company in terms of how we try to, you know, uh, give value to our partners. And uh, when you work with different organizations, you see how they they treat certain opportunities or not, right? And so when you create these experiences, you're fan-focused and you're fan-forward, it, it just shows from an ownership perspective, you know, that there's awareness there that it, it, it takes a village to, to succeed, you know? And so it's not just about the wins and losses. It's just the, you know, the holistic experience of what it means to attend uh, a CBJ game. But, and, and yeah, I mean, it, that truly is, we are a, an organization, as you know, from working a little bit with us and, you know, we don't necessarily have a, a, a very in-your-face ownership leadership team, but they're one that's very engaged. They want to know what's going on. They care very much. So, they, they love, I mean, in fact, our president was just walking through the fan zone the other night and he had a big, big smile on his face. He says, it's looking great, working good. And that, that that's always the attaboy you want. To. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ryan, I can't thank you enough for participating. I'm glad that, you know, even with all the, uh, communication and work that we've been involved in since last April that we can still tolerate each other. So I, I, I appreciate that. Um, but for our listeners, um, where can they find you or what are you comfortable with sharing in terms of whether uh, you want to talk about the efforts that you're doing or maybe even some prospects that um, yeah. you know want to learn about the project? You, know, you, you definitely can find me on LinkedIn uh, for Ryan Chenault. Um, not too much on social media, but I will give my email and anyone can reach out to me via email. And that's R-C-H-E-N as in Nancy, A-U-L-T at bluejackets.com. Well, wonderful. Well, Ryan, again, thank you so much. And everyone, thanks for joining. And until next time, bye-bye.